The Rebrand Podcast is a proud member of the I Hear Everything Podcast Network. Looking to launch or scale your podcast? I Hear Everything delivers podcast production, growth, and monetization solutions that transform your words into profit. Ready to give your brand a voice? Then visit IHearEverything.com. Welcome to the Rebrand Podcast, and I Hear Everything production. This podcast tells the stories of world-changing marketing campaigns as told by the people who build them. In each episode, you'll hear an earful of brilliance from a marketer who has brought an iconic brand to life. Ready to hear the secrets and untold stories behind the brands you love? Then sit back, relax, and get ready for the rebrand. Here's the host of the Rebrand Podcast, the CEO of the Harkey Group, Scott Harkey. All right, welcome to the Rebrand Podcast, where we tell the untold stories of world-changing brand campaigns as by the marketers who built them. I'm your host and founder of the Harkey Group, Scott Harkey, and today we're going to talk about Yahoo's first mommy blogger campaign. Joining me today is Nicole Rodriguez, who's the CEO and founder of the NRPR Group. All right. Well, let's just get into this. This topic really caught my producer and I's attention around mommy bloggers. I know we've heard about it in the industry, about how big blogging and advocates are. We've all heard the brand Yahoo. They've certainly had their ups and downs over the years, but a huge brand and was one of the biggest internet companies in the world at one time. And so talk to us about this mommy blogger campaign and being really the first for Yahoo and your involvement. We want to hear all about it. Again, this topic caught my attention. I'm like, yeah, let's talk about that because I still hear the term mommy blogger in so many meetings as a demographic or as a strategy. So let's really break it down. What do you got for us? Give us uh, kind of the rundown on this campaign. Yeah, this was a lot of fun. This takes me back to the early 2000s when blogging was sort of just beginning. It was becoming a thing. I think a lot of moms who were both stay-at-home moms and also moms who had jobs or professions, but wanted to get out there and do something a little bit more, share their opinions about products, learn more about products and things like that. And so in the early 2000s, just about everyone wanted to tap into this uber-focused market. You know that if you caught the attention of moms who were basically like the decision makers when it came to purchases in the home, if you got to them and you got into their network For a lot of brands, that was it. That was your golden ticket. And so with Yahoo, I was at a company called Voce Communications based in San Francisco. And we thought, you know what? Yahoo was our client. And we actually had a woman by the name of Stacey Libby. She was a mommy blogger herself, but she was also a director at our firm. And she just thought, you know what? I'm really tapped into this market. There's got to be something we can do here for Yahoo. And so this actually was her brainchild. And I was her sort of sidekick in this. She's like, okay, Nicole, you know what? It's going to be me and you. We're going to build this up. We're going to build this proposal as a piece of what we're doing for Yahoo. Because of course, we were doing the nuts and bolts PR, right? Talking about Yahoo as a business, talking about some of their products and Flickr and one of those. They had many under their umbrella. But what could they be doing to really capture a different niche media market and how could we make it super fun? So that's when we came up with the concept of the motherboard. 
It was called the motherboard. And what we did was we offered these moms and it started at 10. We said, we're going to give you behind the scenes looks and access at Yahoo products, right? Like Yahoo owned products. And there were a lot under that umbrella. And we said, in exchange, all we ask is that you will at least consider mentioning Yahoo or a Yahoo product in a blog post that you do or any sort of roving reporter. Cause you know, blogging became a thing too. They would have their little cameras and they'd be out there looking at products and things like that. And we just said, look, we're, we weren't exchanging any money for this, but we will give you access to information. We'll give you access to things behind the scenes. You guys are our top 10 that we're going to start with and we'll see how it goes from there. Well, they became excited about it because they were like, whoa, Yahoo, like you said, was one of the biggest internet companies out there. They get access to some of their IT people, some of the the people who are building the products. They get access to these people who are like, who have the information that their readers then would be interested in. We actually grew it over the span of a year to 50 mommies who all had, maybe they had a cooking blog, maybe they had a tech blog, maybe they had a education blog, whatever it was, they had to be moms that had a decent footprint that wrote regularly and would, again, consider putting Yahoo information in there. So once a month, we'd throw out a topic of the month. This month is my favorite tech products that I use at home. Ready, go. And we'd shoot that out to all 50 moms and we wouldn't make it mandatory, but we would check off who actually wrote in that topic so we could see which moms remained engaged. And these moms were so engaged. And we would send them links to Yahoo sort of articles that they could work into their blog. So it became this awesome machine, this reciprocated like love machine where they would kind of talk about Yahoo stuff and we would keep feeding them information and it helped both sides. And it got to a point to where Yahoo, like big executives, caught on how successful this was. They offered to fly all 50 mommy blogs bloggers to Palo Alto to stay at like the Four Seasons, to get pampered, to sit like it was a conference, basically hosted an on-site two-day motherboard conference for these mommy bloggers to just, they were like, we bleed purple. We love Yahoo. It was probably one of the most successful things. And it was me and Stacy. It was our project. And I literally was like, this turned into a, a media creation machine and a sort of love fest between Yahoo and this incredible group of influencers, which were these mommy bloggers. That's really cool. Okay, so a few things I, I want to break down and ask some questions about. Uh, so, I mean, early 2000s for this kind of virality of engaged kind of influencers before there even is influencers is pretty cool. So I, I want to make sure our audience really grasps how early something like this catching on was for the time. And I remember right after this, you know, in the mid to late 2000s, it was you couldn't go to a meeting without hearing the term mommy bloggers. Um, yeah. But I, what I think is also interesting, what I heard from you, and I think an insight that marketers can really use here is, I think we get overwhelmed at times about how to do something that's a little new and fresh mm -hmm. and how to engage an audience. 
and we get paralyzed with the process. And it sounds like what you did was you had an advocate at the agency. I mean, here you are a San Francisco tech PR agency working with one of the biggest brands in the world. So you guys are obviously very high level, you know, PR people and you wanted to try something. And so you just freaking did it and you didn't overthink it. And you found an advocate internally who knew the audience, who kind of had an in with the audience and you, you just tried shit and got it out there. And then Yahoo obviously was like, Oh my gosh, this is, this is really something. Let's, let's pour gasoline in this experiment that has gone crazy well. And of course you're doing the traditional PR pitches, but this sounds like, you know, something you're really proud of. I and mean, I, I see why. It's really cool. My question is, was there some sort of KPI or insight that stood out to you? Or how were you measuring success? I mean, this was so early. I mean, we have trouble now, really. And I'm sure you know this, working with influencers, really trying to find out some numbers and KPIs you believe in. And Instagram doesn't want to give us the numbers. So was there... How was gathering some data and some insights, some impression numbers, how, how was that? And was there some KPIs that stood out or was that a hard process or any insight on that I think could be helpful? Yeah, really, really great question. Because if you think about it, I think I want to say that when we first started discussing this, it was around 2007, right? And then 2008 was, is when everything really kicked off and then continued from there. So the ability to measure it was faint. There wasn't a lot like the the tools that we have nowadays are very sexy compared to what we had before. So the KPIs were, can you get moms to actually agree to do this for free, right? Can you actually get them to write? Can you get them to commit? And can you get them to use, when you think about it, Yahoo links, right, in their stories. And Yahoo, if you go onto yahoo.com, you still, you're reading articles, you're whatever. They were basically trying to continue to build this mechanism for traffic back to Yahoo. Could we use this super engaged audience to do that? And so what we would do is we would measure, we we obviously had to cap it at 50. It started at 10 and then it became like, whoa, these moms actually want it. They keep talking to the other moms. So then, okay, 50, we can manage 50. How many of them in a given month were engaged? And if we could get at least 30 of the moms to do one of the things that we had asked of them, which is, One, would you write a blog and include any of our links? Two, would you make it part of this theme? Three, we would also do sort of monthly chats where we'd hop on a call with all the moms and talk about trends and be able to bring that intel back to Yahoo and some of their developers, right? So it really became, how do I say this? A program that we didn't overthink when it came to the KPIs, engagement, and is this actually working that became a huge factor. And then what we were able to do was actually measure traffic, right? That we were actually able to see how many of these moms did include links into their blog posts. How much traffic did that actually generate? And we saw that that was working. So that being a thing, Yahoo was happy with it. And it was, again, this was guaranteed volumes of coverage that we didn't have to go out and just pitch traditional media for. We had this hotbed of quote unquote influencers before they were called influencers, these moms were super engaged and and they loved having the access. Okay. I love this. And what I want to do is, you know, we have a lot of specialists that come on the show. In, in a quick period of time, we've gotten a lot of we've gotten a lot of ad tech and we've gotten this and that. And we've been really selective on who we've had on based on the topic and the capabilities. I see a growing need and 
in specialists and having your specialized agency provider, having that specialized capability if you have a brand and you're building marketing in-house. So while I have a top PR person on the show, I want to ask kind of some, some PR questions. Some of the interviews and insights on this show, I think have been amazing around PR. Like we had an Amazon specialist on, yeah, actually that, that interview launched today. So a couple of weeks ago when you're hearing this, and he really talked about how PR is really driving sales within the Amazon channel and how effective PR influencers are. I still think PR is one of the most underrated tactics in a marketing mix today. And that above the line awareness part of the funnel, it really helps establish credibility and it really gets eyeballs. One really incredible insight for me, this was working with Anheuser-Busch. And you know, our agency, just as a quick update, and I'm not going to do it like a commercial or anything, but we have a, a, a group of agencies, the Harky Group. We have five different agencies within our platform. I've toyed back and forth with having PR capabilities in-house and out-of-house and partners. And now I'm partnering with everybody. Sometimes we do some in-house PR. If it's like a full-service account, sometimes we partner with people. Sometimes we'll have it in-house. But I'm just such a big believer in PR. And I really want to ask Nicole some of the questions if you're thinking about PR, if you're doing PR, and really get some insights for her. Because back to my Anheuser-Busch story, as my ADD is going all over the place. But back to my Anheuser-Busch story, what I loved is their simplicity of KPIs. We're talking about the largest, one of the largest alcoholic beverage companies in the world, you know, InBev, okay? Anheuser-Busch InBev, giant, giant company. Um, I've done work with them for years and a lot on the PR side. And they keep their KPIs so simple. It's, it's guess what it is? It's impressions, okay? How many impressions did we earn was the only KPI that mattered. And they did it campaign after campaign. And we would have the freedom to come up with ideas that just generated impressions, good old-fashioned impressions, which matter. I believe, and listen to this, we are going to a very simplistic KPI, which will be completely impression-based. When you look at the television, Nielsen and Comscore battle, Comscore is going impression-based. Billboard is impression-based. Digital is impression-based. PR has impressions. I think we will have a universal KPI in the future and now of really being impressions. So with that little tangent that I just went on, I don't know what my point was, but I really want to think about PR and maybe what your philosophy is around PR. What are people missing when it comes to PR? What do you see as the opportunities and the challenges in today's market? But maybe just sit down and talk to us marketers about kind of PR in general and where we're getting it wrong, where are we getting it right, where can people like you help? How do we just wrap our head around PR of the past, the future, and today, and, and how we can use and leverage PR people to help you know grow our brands? I love this question. And just simply because I, I also love my profession and I've seen so much magic happen from over the course of two decades. And I think that there's a lot that's missing when it comes to marketing. So keep in mind too, I got my MBA and in the process of getting my MBA, I was required to take one marketing class. So if you think about the business leaders, the business leaders out there, you are required to take multiple accounting and finance courses. You're supposed to take strategy, right? We were required to take a marketing class. Now you could take more if you wanted to and if you wanted to get a cert certificate. That's where a lot of it goes wrong. We are dealing with a huge, let's just say, a global group of professionals who don't understand marketing in general, right? 
And then when you start parsing it down to PR, imagine in that in that class, PR was a quarter of one of the days that we discussed it. So you've got a lot of professionals who don't actually understand PR, who think they know what it is because they've had some sort of dabble with it. Oh, well, this is, yeah, 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 I know PR because this is what I did over here. You don't even know whether or not that was sort of the best that you could get. Oh, I've, you know what? I've tried PR five, six times and it was all garbage. Well, who were you talking to? How much do you understand it? So I think at the core of all of this is just a general lack of knowledge across the board. And it's because PR is not like, PR has to be doing PR for itself as an industry, right? 100%. To, to your point too, everybody's an expert. I don't know any other profession in the world where everybody has is an expert on marketing, but nobody has the education. And by the way, I've done a lot of teaching and a lot of educational work. They're way behind on actually what's going on. So even if you had the education, you're still 10 years behind. But I agree, there does need to be a lot more education to business people about the craft of marketing. And that's what, you know, part of the reason that I wanted to start this podcast is just to have a community of people talking and shared experiences to really, and most of our job, unfortunately, is educating our clients and people generally about the craft and the, and the art and the science behind what we do as a profession. And right. the same way doctors and lawyers and accountants and architects have, have skills and capabilities and um, expertise and years of craftsmanship. So do we as an industry. And, and we, we don't do a great job of lifting each other up and educating people on what it takes to do great freaking work uh, with right. our craft. So again, another tangent, but I, I love what you said. So, okay, I'll let you get back on track. With yeah. Kind of your- so, and I think the other thing too is PR teeters on this little fence, right? We're part of it in a lot of like, we'll just say traditional means we're thought of as that bridge to journalism, right? Our job is to basically help bridge the gap between traditional media and whoever our client is, right? And so not everyone then thinks of us in the marketing mix. And then some of the times it's kind of like, well, they think about the one hit wonder, Scott. Get me in Wall Street Journal. Of course. The one hit wonder. Put me in the New York Times. That's it. Company is going to... If I could literally have a dollar for everyone that just said, for every startup that was like, just get me in TechCrunch. That's just please, just get me in TechCrunch. TechCrunch reporters know how coveted that sort of, I say ink loosely, right? Because back in the day, it would be a, a printed publication. But that ink, that space, them mentioning someone, they know, they know how, how coveted that is. They also know how in demand they are. They have to sift through hundreds of emails a day, right? And when a startup CEO comes to me and is like, so do you know anyone at TechCrunch? Can you just, (laughs) I mean, technically that's really what I want. I just, I want a PR person who knows TechCrunch. And I'm like, yes, I can name four or five people at TechCrunch that I know and have worked with and have close stories. But let me tell you, One, you don't have funding. You haven't done anything. So far, you have a concept. You're launching your business and all of a sudden you're ready for the big time. What I like to tell founders is, it's really not me, it's you. 
You've mm-hmm. got to be okay with laddering up. You've got to be okay with talking to someone in your backyard about what it is you're doing and building and not basically letting your ego get in the way of who and what you're going to talk about because it's like, oh, well, hold on. You want me to talk to the LA Business Journal? I should be talking to the LA Times right now. <laughs> I love the Business Journal, by the way. I think it's a, right? a great community. And especially, look, if you're a mid-sized company or you're a startup and PR is not part of your budgeting, if you're in B2B, it's a, it's a huge, huge mistake. But even B2C, man, if you have a small budget, PR is where to go. And again, take the ups and downs. I mean, put a 12-month, six-month strategy plus together. Take the big hits, the small hits, the community newspapers, the business journals. One thing I remember when I was watching, I'm definitely not going to get political here, but if you look at... I watched the Trump documentary a while back. And if you look at all the PR shit he's done over his career, Uh PR maniac, which is... I mean, he's really... I mean, people are going to argue with me, but he's really not that great of a businessman. He's not that great of a real estate mogul, um, but he's a PR person. Like his main thing has just been for 30 years, PR, yep. PR, 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 yep. office and all the PR shit everywhere. And look, you can argue whether or not he's a great leader. I'm definitely not here to do that. But you can see that his main strategy over the years has been PR, which is how he got the show and all this stuff. So yep. I mean, again, I couldn't say enough about PR, but here, here's what I want to do because I know we have another episode coming up and a great topic. Let's cliffhanger people on this episode. Let's come back. Let's talk about, of course, this Hulu campaign that we're going to get into that I'm pretty excited about. Why Hulu launched original shows. We've seen a ton of brands launch original shows. Amazon, Hulu, Disney. I mean, it's all a content platform play now. I love what Hulu's done over the years. So let's dive into Hulu. We're going to dive into more PR strategies and tactics and things that whether you're an entrepreneur or a marketer that you can learn from Nicole. Again, I love having these specialists on because rather than do like our little stupid cattle calls of looking for a vendor, let's talk to people that are in the trenches and doing the work so we can understand what a great partner looks like. How are we going to partner with a great specialist like Nicole Rodriguez and NRPR? So big thanks to Nicole. Thanks for coming on. She's the CEO of NRPR, two decades of of experience in, in PR and a lot of high-tech PR and huge brands like Yahoo, which we talked about. In part two of this interview, which we'll publish tomorrow, Nicole and I are going to talk about why Hulu launched original shows. You can't wait till the next episode. You want to learn more about Nicole. You'll find a link in our show notes, or you can visit her company website at nrprgroup.com. Just one link in our show notes I want to tell you about. If you didn't have a chance while listening to this podcast uh, to take notes, I definitely wouldn't be. I'd just be listening. So just go to our website, rebrandpad.com, and we'll have summaries and episodes of all our guests and contact information. Uh, You can subscribe to our newsletter. If you want to talk about the most impactful marketing campaign, apply to be a guest speaker at the Rebrand Podcast. You can always reach out on social media. Our handle is at rebrandpod on all the channels, or you can find me on Twitter at SharkyAZ or Instagram or TikTok or LinkedIn, just Scott Harkey. Not the financial Scott Harkey, who I've got to meet and send notes back and forth to, but the marketing Scott Harkey. If you haven't subscribed, again, hit that subscribe button. That's our main KPI. 
We've got almost 5,000 marketers who subscribe to this community. So subscribe, that's our main KPI. We want to create great content where people are learning. Some might be for you, others might not. Maybe you want to learn about Amazon agency, maybe you want to learn about PR agency, maybe you just want to hear about brand. Maybe you want to hear about a CMO and how they've taken a brand to market. You can pick and choose over here. So if you subscribe, you can go and just see if something is relevant to you. We want to build the best marketing community on the planet. That's our goal. So if we're cutting it, let us know. If we're not, and we need to improve the show. We're always improving. We've improved audio quality. We've improved guests. We've improved process. Uh, We want to get better every day. And that's our promise and our goal. Okay, that's it for today. But until next time, remember, it's never too late to rebuild, reboot, or rebrand.